critical mass that we can get started. Continuing our study in the book of Romans. Um, today we'll be looking at Romans chapter 4. Um, as you turn there, let me just uh, remind us uh, where we are when we left off two weeks ago um, looking at the book of Romans. So, um, we had just completed a few weeks ago the first major um, discourse or teaching section of the book um, following uh, Paul's statement in chapter 1 of the book's um, main theological point. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Following on that declaration, um, Paul then starts this section that runs from the middle part of chapter 1 through the middle of chapter 3, in which he's describing how the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. And chapters 2 and 3, or 1, 2, and half of 3, um, are depicting uh, the universality of human sinfulness and uh, our lack of righteousness. <laughs> echo, echo, echo. <laughs> so, um, so that bleak picture of uh, human sinfulness uh, culminates at, in chapter 3, um, verse, is, uh, verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But then, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the next big section of Romans that, that Paul starts by, um, once again, using that, that word manifest. So just as the wrath of God has been manifested against all um, unrighteousness and ungodliness, now the righteous of God has been manifested apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and the the kind of way he ties that first section and this next section together is through verses 23, 24, and 25 of chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that um, by faith, we can have a righteousness, an alien righteousness, the righteousness of Christ and his perfect sacrifice for us credited to our behalf. And um, this idea of, a, of justification or righteousness that comes through faith is going to be the theme that Paul continues in chapter 4. Uh, but before we read, let me uh, pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you for uh, your good news, uh, for your gospel, for your working of salvation uh, for us that we receive by faith. But the work is yours, and we give you glory and honor and praise for it. We thank you for the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, uh, through whose perfect life and through whose sacrificial death 
um, we uh, were cleansed and given new life through his resurrection. Lord, we thank you um, for how he lives in us through our union uh, with him, um, that union uh, made by the presence of your spirit uh, in us, the spirit of Christ that testifies alongside our spirit and allows us to cry out to you, Abba, Father. So Lord, we, we do pray that that spirit would guide us into all truth concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ, um, and particularly this morning, uh, concerning um, our father, Abraham. Uh, we thank you that we can be called um, Abraham's children, and like Abraham, we too can stand in your presence and be accounted uh, righteous because of faith, not because of our own perfect works, but because of uh, your crediting to us the perfect work of Christ and not counting against us our record of sin, which Christ paid for through his death. Lord, uh, give us uh, insight into Paul's um, presentation of the Old Testament, that we might see the unity of your truth uh, throughout human history as you've brought your perfect plans uh, to fruition. Uh, teach us now, we pray. Uh, instruct not just our minds, but our wills, that we might be uh, enabled to believe and to um, express that belief through lives of faithful service to you, not counting uh, things by how they appear or by sight, but trusting in you and in the certainty of your promises and the certainty of who you are. Instruct us uh, through your spirit in Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, here now the word of God from Romans um, chapter 4. I'm actually going to begin uh, in chapter 3, verses 27, just to sort of there's a lot of um, thematic and um, linguistic connections between what Paul says in the last uh, four verses of chapter 3 and then what he expounds in chapter 4. So just to get a sense of some of the, the language and how things he raises very briefly at the end of chapter 3, he goes into more depth in chapter 4. So I'll start in uh, verse 27 of chapter 3 and read through the entirety of chapter 4. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, 
his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Thus far the reading of God's Holy Word, may he bless it in our hearts and our minds as we speak of it together this morning. So after uh, Paul has established that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all can be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be, re to be received by faith, why does he, in chapter 4, Turn to Abraham. So he's, you know, established human sinfulness. Then he's made this declaration of a righteousness manifested from God that's received through faith. And then on the heels of that, he gives us an entire chapter whose focus is on Abraham. Abraham's 
Yeah, so we'll come back to the circumcision part in a little bit, but to your, the, the main point you're making, that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He is the, the father of this uh, covenant people. Uh, the nation is, is descended from him. So he is the, um, uh, uh, as one commentator I was listening to, um, it's actually lectures um, that were done, it's really weird to listen to lectures that were done, like, uh, it has to be like 1970-something. <laughs> um, uh, the one, the sound quality is not good, but the other is like, um, a lot of his jokes are like, ooh, that's dated. Um, but, um, you know, the, the way uh, um, uh, um, this one commentator, like, you know, Abraham's the George Washington of the Jews. Like, like he's the father of his, of his nation. Um, he is the one um, who has this esteem given to him by the Jewish people. Good. Why else, Abraham? So he's the father of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. Yeah, Phil. Absolutely. Like, if we um, were to flip over to um, Hebrews 11, um, you, you know, you have that whole section. Um, if you look in that section on faith, the, in that chapter that has this great catalog of faith, Abraham has the longest section in that. So Paul is upholding him as the, the exemplar of what it means to live by faith. Kathy, you were going to say something. Yeah, that he, he's not being accounted a righteous man because of the things that he did. He's being accounted a righteous man because of his trust in the promises of God. And, and, and Paul is using, he, he's quoting here um, Genesis 15, verse 6, uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In a sense, this entire chapter is a commentary on that verse from Genesis. Like, he is using that verse to interpret and to understand the entire story of Abraham. Like, for, for Paul, you, you don't understand Abraham's life um, and his, his, his role without understanding Genesis 15, verse 6. Like, that, this idea that Abraham believed God and it was counted... Uh, um, counted to him as righteousness. And that we'll get to that counting in a little bit because uh, that's a, a, a verb that Paul uses a lot in this chapter. But, but for now, let's, let's stick on this why Abraham. Other reasons? So we've got, he's the father of the Jewish nation. He's, um, as Paul is upholding him, he's this exemplar um, of what it means to live a life of faithfulness? Absolutely. That, you know, and you, 
that's what you love about the scripture story. Like right after, um, like I, you know, went back and as I was getting ready and, and reread the Abraham story, it's right on the heels uh, of of this promise um, and this statement that the the whole Hagar episode happens. Like I I don't know why I sort of thought that came later, but it was kind of like the first thing. Like so in prior to this declaration in 15.6, um, what comes before is the promise that God makes about see the stars, you know, your offspring, you know, will be as many as, you know, the stars that inhabit the, the heavens, countless. Um, so this promise of offspring, um, and it's explicit that that offspring will come through Sarah, and yet on the heels of being given this promise and, and having this declaration that he believed God when God told him that this is going to happen, he turns around and tries to make it happen himself. <laughs> um, you know, he, 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 he acts in an unfaithful way. He, he acts by sight. Like, Sarah's old. Hagar presumably is young. Sarah is, as um, Paul says, uh, her womb is dead. Um, Hagar probably appeared very uh, um, fruitful to Sarah and Abraham. Um, so, yeah, so Paul is using Abraham to remind his hearers that Abraham was not perfect, that Abraham was a sinner. And this is something that, you know, like this catalog of sinfulness that Paul has just given Abraham is included in that. And that's why Abraham's not exceptional. Um, let me just give you, these are a couple of rabbis from the time, what they were saying about Abraham. Uh, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Um, Abraham, quote, did not sin against thee, or no one has been found like him in glory. So there's this belief in upholding an Abraham as being this exceptionally righteous person, and Paul is, is having none of it. Because if Abraham is, is being saved by his, his righteousness, it's nullifying the promises that are being presented to of a righteousness by faith. Like, so there's ground for boasting. And, and Paul has just said, um, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. <laughs> there's, there's no boasting before God. There's, there's no room in the presence of God for self-exaltation, um, for a manifestation of pride in our accomplishments. And that includes Abraham. Just as no one can boast, not even Abraham can stand before God and boast of his works. Rather, Abraham stands before God, trusting in God, and receiving what God has promised through faith. Scott, you look like you want to say something.
Yeah, and that's something um, like we'll get to in a little bit. I, I want to end end on that point, but I'm glad you raised it now. Kind of keep the goal in mind. Like Abraham's struggles in his life of faith, um, and that's we're going to end by considering like because that's how Paul ends the chapter by this kind of examination of what exactly did Abraham do that was faithful, and and what he did was he believed God when all evidence testified against the, the fact that what God said could actually happen. Like, it, against all, you know, the way Paul says it, um, you know, uh, in hope, he believed against hope. Like, the idea, like, circumstances, you're going to be the father of many nations through Sarah. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm practically dead. Uh, Sarah's womb is dead, um, but he trusts in the God who can bring life from death. Like, you know, it's th this idea that Paul's presenting that Abraham, you know, because of who God is, the, and he points to God as the one who created all things out of nothing. Like, you got a great declaration here of, of ex nihilo creation, um, you know, out of non-existence, God created all things that exist. Like, that's the God who he's believing. Um, so, what's going to happen to a little, you know, what's a little old age and barrenness to a God who can, can bring life out of death? Um, so, circumstances testify against that belief, and yet Abraham believed in God. Like, the object of his belief overcame all appearance or, you know, um, uh, you know, what his human senses are telling him. But he's trusting, not irrationally, but it's a rational belief on who he knows God to be. Uh, you know, the God who created all things, the God who can bring life out of death. And so it is a great reminder to us who, in our day-to-day -day lives, face all kinds of, of um, sensory uh, impulses to doubt, um, to, to see the odds stacked against the promises, to, to see, um, you know, to see impossibility rather than the possibility of, of God's promises. And, and that's what, just as Abraham was tempted and fell into that temptation, that's the same temptation for us, as Scott's saying. Last week. Last week, sorry. And he defined faith as forsaking all, I take him. Yes? Forsaking faith for all, I take him. But the forsaking all is the key, I think, that I was interested in. So yeah, that...
Yeah, that, but it's not like, as, as we'll get into, it's not blind trust, it's trust in him. Like, it's not faith in faith. <laughs> um, it's not, well, if you just believe hard enough, it will happen. It's, as, as you know, with that definition, it's receiving what God is offering. Like, you're trusting in him. Um, and, and faith is that reception of, of God alone. Um, yeah, Tim. Absolutely, and he, I love the way that Paul does this, or one of the ways Paul does this, in emphasizing Abraham. Paul is emphasizing God called Abraham when Abraham wasn't a Jew. <laughs> like, Abraham was not circumcised when God called him. Abraham was not credited as righteous uh, after he was circumcised, but before. So that's why he's the father of both the circumcised and uncircumcised. It's the way that that's how he can be the father of many nations, both from his physical progeny, but as the spiritual father of all, because when he was called, he wasn't a Jew yet. Um, you know, the, if we take circumcision as being the, the signifying mark of the Jewish male, like he, he was called, that didn't exist yet when he was called. If we take the law as being the distinctive revelation of God that set the Jewish nation apart, that's 430 years later. Like He's calling Abraham exactly the same way he calls us, whether we're circumcised or uncircumcised. It's, it's the faith that God is, is um, it's the faith that marks us as the people of God, not these external signs. And Abraham is, the, is a great um, um, example for Paul to use because when Abraham is exercising his faith, he is not yet marked on his body by that sign of circumcision.
Yeah, and especially like if you think of um, the first promise, like what's what's the first promise? Like right on the heels of Adam and Eve's sin, like you know he has this, you know the the serpent, you know there's this promise of this one who will crush the serpent's head, like you know it's the the seed will come, um, and so there's this whole story. Like you can trace the the use of seed through the Old Testament, um, and it's that I and and repeatedly there are all these times like as you say the Noadic flood, like like wipes everything out. Um, you know there there are all these threats to or barriers or obstacles to the coming of that seed, and we see it here. Like it's it's through Abraham. Like, and, and Paul's using, um, to go back to what Tim was saying, like, Abraham is the founder of Christianity because Abraham, it's through Abraham's seed. Like, you know, it's through his offspring that salvation comes through, through the coming of Jesus Christ, who is an heir of Abraham. Like, it's that, that promised seed is, has finally come in the person of Jesus. And it's continuing the storyline throughout the Old Testament. Um, and, it's, and this is why, um, you know, again, as, as you're all saying, like why he's latching on to Abraham here, because Abraham, the figure of Abraham is tying the two Testaments together. It's not two different stories, it's one story. They're not two different paths of salvation, one that was for Jews and one for everybody else. It's one salvation for, for everyone, a faith in God that leads to God crediting righteousness to the, to the believer. Um, so that, um, let's kind of transition here to my next question. So the word in the ESV, it's count, is the word that, that shows up. It shows up eight times in verses 1 through 12. And it shows up, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, 12 times in the chapter as a whole. And it, it can't, the same word um, also appears in both Old Testament quotations that Paul is giving in, um, in verses 1 through 12 of, of Romans 4. So what does it mean that Abraham is counted as righteous? Okay, it's what God thinks, so what God thinks matters. Uh, let's, let's flesh that out a little more. <laughs> Cynthia. Absolutely, and that's like, it, it's, 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 I mean, think of count from an accounting standpoint, like it's, it's, he, he's having a credit um, to his account that he has himself not earned. Um, 
his account, which is full of debits, is, is being perceived by God as being full uh, because God is not counting his sin against him and is counting Christ's righteousness toward him. So it's this, this great um, exchange, and, and the word that Cynthia uses there, you know, imputed, is, is a, a good word to sort of think about. It's, it's not a description of what Abraham actually is, but it is a, a description of how God, what God has done to, to, to see Abraham as something he's not. Like, and it's, it's not that God's believing a lie. No, God has made it happen by taking away his debts, not counting them, not crediting them to his account, but and counting Christ's righteousness on his behalf. Um, you know, it's, I was trying to think of an example of, of this, um, and I don't have any, but, <laughs> um, well, maybe one. Like, it's the idea of, like, um, every now and then, like, uh, I'll, I'll look in our bank account. Dana does most, handles most of our money because if you know me, if, you, if I handled the money, it would end up being translated into books, um, which are not as, as uh, interchangeable <laughs> as, uh, for food and clothing <laughs> um, as actual dollars are. Um, but, um, but every now, like, I'll check our account, and, like, and normally, like, the things that are being credited into that account are the result of our wages. Like, you know, Simmons directly deposits money into our account. You know, the Imago School deposits money into our account. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's a kind of counting, at, that's our wages. That's what our due us, because we've worked for them and we've earned them. Um, and that's what he's saying. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as gift. They're not credited as a gift but as do, like, like Simmons is not giving me a gift for, for my work. Um, you know, they're paying me wages for what I, you know, for labor performed. It's something I've earned. But every now and then, um, and I usually don't know when it's coming because um, it, it doesn't happen on any kind of predictable schedule, um, there'll be an enormous deposit in our account, <laughs> like, I was like, wait, <laughs> we have money. <laughs> um, and it's because um, usually Dana's mother has, has given us a gift. Like, and it's like, like wait, <laughs> money that wasn't there is there. Like, it's, it's a gift. It's free. We hadn't done anything. We haven't earned it. It's, it's out of her generosity that, you know, and, and sometimes without even telling us, well, I was just thinking of you girls, and so I gave you each something, and she knows our account, and so she just transfers money into it, and it's gift. It's, it's, it's not coming as wages, and that's what Paul is saying our righteousness is like. It's not coming as something we've earned. It's coming as something that is given to us by God freely, um, uh, not as um, wages, not as something we've merited, but, but, but something that, that God, out of God's loving character, is, is doing freely. Um, you know, this God who is under no obligation to do anything for us uh, does something for us. 
and it's this, this, this great counting as us uh, on the basis of our faith as righteous. So, So the the idea that question of faith is is more James's question regarding faith, like you know, you know, and so in James we got even the devils believe. <laughs> um, so, but so what what distinguishes saving faith? And and James is like that's where works come from. Works come as an evidence of this life changing work that God has done in a person's life. But but. You know, we're being rewarded on account of our faith, which produces good works in us uh, in response to God's gift, rather than God, you know, us meriting something, a gift from God, because of the things we've done. It's, it's the relationship um, between faith and works. So we're saved because of faith. But saving faith, in Paul's logic, will produce works. And if, if your life, you're, you say you believe, but you're not doing these things, then you need to examine your heart to, to see if there's really true belief, faith there. Because if, if you're not doing the things that God has commanded you, then are you really believing in God? So it's the... Um, it's the relationship, like where the works appear. Works don't earn God's grace. God's grace gives us faith that then will lead to increasing sanctification in this life. It's by God's accounting us as righteous, God then proceeds to actually make us what he, he always accounts us to be if that makes sense. So they're, so they're doing good things, but they don't believe. Um, if they, I mean, again, and, and that's what, like, it's hard being, uh, like, so, you know, we're ruling elders, and we uh, interview people to admit them to membership, and, um, you know, we want to see a credible profession of faith. 
I can, like, it's a profession of faith. Like, we can only go on the basis of what the person says. God is the one who judges and knows the heart. Um, so, like, again, I can only go from external things. God's knowledge of the person is, is complete and thorough. So if the person, even if they say they don't believe, but in reality they do, then, then I would say God would save them. But, like, from an uh, elder standpoint, I'm looking for a credible profession. Um, and so on, on that basis, like again, it's not what we do, it's, it's in who we trust. So is the person doing things in trust of, of, of God? Like I'm doing things, again, not to earn something, or not even because that's what I think I'm supposed to do, I'm doing them because God has told me to do them. Like, like I'm doing those good things out of gratitude toward, toward God's gracious act toward me. It's, it's our good works are, are made good because they're coming as a response to the work God has done in us. Yeah, that's a better answer than my answer. <laughs>
like, the, like, and the difference, like, as you look at the Gospels, like, what, what, what's the difference between the Pharisees and the sinners and tax collectors? Sinners and tax collectors see their need for Jesus. The Pharisees don't. They see themselves as righteous. They see themselves as not needing this gift of God. They see themselves as, as lacking need. And what Paul has been doing in his book is like, the first thing you have to do is see your need. To see that, one, you're sinful, and two, all that righteousness you think you've done isn't really all that righteous, you know, isn't righteous. Like, it's, it's you know, Paul's description of himself in Philippians 3. You know, all these things that he was counting, you know, again, kind of like he was looking at his account and he was counting, like, I'm a Jew, I'm a Benjamin Knight, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a persecutor of the church. He was counting all those things as credits. They were debits. <laughs> and that's like he, you know, you have to see not only yourself as a sinner, but you also have to learn to despise your own righteousness uh, in favor of this alien righteousness, a righteousness that, of Christ that comes through the gift of God and is received by us by faith. Yeah, and again, that's kind of what he's working through in the section. How can, um, how can a person be, in, in Luther's words, simultaneously just and a sinner? Um, and that comes out of are. Like, I'm a sinner, but God sees me as a righteous man because, again, he's seeing me through Christ and what Christ has done for me, that Christ has paid the penalty that my sins deserved, so like he, he's, he's not pretended my debt doesn't exist, but he's paid for it with his blood um, by drinking the cup of wrath, um, and that's, you know, Paul's clear here that, you know, through the law brings wrath. I'm a lawbreaker. That lawbreaking deserves wrath. Christ the cup of wrath that was my penalty debt is paid for. But that's not enough. And, and that's what, you know, that's the part he's talking about when he's quoting David here. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed in the is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Like, you know, so the quote from Psalm 32 there is talking about how is it that a sinner can be forgiven, like a sinner who deserves God's wrath, like it's real, like, you know, again, that's what the first couple chapters are doing. We are rightfully deserving of the manifestation of God's wrath because sin is a true offense against God. He can't ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist, and he didn't ignore it, and he didn't pretend it didn't exist. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sinfulness. But he does more than that. He doesn't just count our, 
our record of sin as being paid in full, he then flips the balance positively by crediting the perfect righteousness of Christ on our behalf. So it's a double counting. He's not counting our debts against us because Christ has paid those debts in full, and he's accounting us as righteous because we have believed and entrusted in Christ, and we receive his righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is foreign to us. And that's how we can be, in Luther's words, both simultaneously sinner and a righteous man in God's sight. Um, all right, five minutes. <laughs> um, so I want to go back um, uh, to something Scott raised. Um, and, and this is the, um, because I think this is where we should draw a lot of application. So, um, you know, the first part is all of this, uh, you know, emphasis on Abraham um, and how Abraham uh, was uh, counted as righteous because of his faith, that it happened before he was circumcised, not after. It happened um, uh, apart from works of the law. But now in the latter half, he, he goes into a description of the nature or character of Abraham's faith. So what are the characteristics that we see about faith, um, or Abraham's faith, that, that lead it to be counted as righteousness? Because I think this is, as we, to go back to what Scott was saying, as we struggle, how do we live lives of faith? And how do we grow in faith? Because that's one of the things that Paul is saying here. Like, Abraham's, the quality of Abraham's faith changed over time. Um, so you can grow in your belief and trust in God. That's part of the Abraham story. But what else? What do we learn about the nature or character of Abraham's faith from this final section? Yes, Cynthia. Yeah, patient, uh, I think, is a great word. Um, like, we don't have, like, um, firm, like, like, we don't know exactly when, how old Abraham was when the promises are made in chapter 15. In chapter 17, we're told he's 99. Um, so two chapters later. Um, uh, uh, is a Jewish tradition that there's actually a 24-year lapse between receiving the promise uh, the first time of many, and, and then, you know, he, he lives it for 24 years before he's circumcised. And then, you know, Isaac's going to come even later than that. Um, so, yeah, so that, that, and that's, again, we, we think Abraham was already old when he received the promise. So we don't think like, oh, he's already old. So, it, you know, it would have been miraculous any time. 
but to think maybe he received the promise and, and even as an old man then had to wait even longer. Um, so the patience of, you know, the, the faithful endurance um, aspect of faith. And then the second thing, um, as Cynthia is saying, like the unexpected, like, like, you know, that maybe, or, you know, God's plan is not your plan. <laughs> um, maybe God is working things in a way that I can't see it. Like, and I can't tell you how many times in life um, that I've faced a situation like I, I have no idea how this is going to happen. Like, um, I've often said it in terms particularly like, uh, you know, of, of paying for things. Like, you know, I was in grad school the first 12 years of our marriage. Dana's faithful endurance. Um, so, which, which translates in, we did not have a lot of money um, for, well, yeah, we still don't have a lot of money. Um, but, uh, you know, but like we didn't have a hefty income. So like there were lots of times in our marriage of like how on earth and every time like, you know, we tr prayed and trusted and, and God made a, a way like, um, and you often see it like, again, it's like we're in a better position than Abraham because we've got the story written for us. <laughs> we've got the story recorded we're this side of the cross. You know, Abraham doesn't have the same, didn't have the same advantages that we have of having the entire Old and New Testaments before us laying out this great track record of faith. So for him, it was always kind of a little more unexpected, I think. But it's same unexpected for us. And again, it's this idea that we have to trust in what we know about God more than what we know about our current physical circumstances. That our trust is based on our knowledge of who God is and what God has promised. Like you have to both believe that, you know, that the promise is real and you have to believe that God can deliver on his promise, like that there's, you know, that God has said he will do something and you believe that he, that something is, is worth believing. But then you also have to believe that God is a, you know, a, a person, an entity that can actually deliver on what God has said he will do. And that's why Paul is, is um, you know, bringing this, to, to, you know, apply to us directly. That's why, verses 22 of chapter 4, that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Like, it's we have the same object of faith as Abraham did. The object of faith is God and the things that, you know, believing that God will do the things that God has promised, even when everything circumstantially 
seems to say it's impossible. Like, how can Sarah give children? You know, her womb is dead, and, and Paul is using a very odd word for barrenness here. Like, this is not the typical word to describe a, a woman as barren. He's, he's specifically using that word dead um, to emphasize that, that God is one who can bring life from death. It's something about, like, it's a, Abraham is believing in something specific to God, that he is the one who gives life to the dead. He's the one who calls into existence things that do not exist. God is the only one who can do these things, and therefore, I am going to believe in that God despite all earthly appearances or, or circumstances telling me I shouldn't. But that is a God worth believing in. Tim is like... <laughs> Yeah, that again, it's like, if it was faith in myself, like, how hopeless would that be? <laughs> or if it was, you know, if, if my salvation depended on the quality of my faith, that would be pretty hopeless. Um, but is my faith in a God who can actually change and transform me, um, who has done this great and mighty work for me, who has given me his spirit to testify with my spirit, to take my little incoherent babblings and, and, and transform them into glorious praises before the throne of God by his spirit. Like, that is a God worth believing. Um, and that's, you know, like, so there are two words that um, get emphasized in this chapter. One I already talked about was counted what God's doing, but the, the other word is, is faith. Like, that is, you know, what we're doing, and it's this work of reception of what God has done for us. Like, we're, to go back to Bill's things, like, we are taking him. Like, we're taking him at his word. We're, we're trusting in him and receiving what he has done and promised to do for us. And that's what we're called to be. We're called to be a people of faith. And that kind of faith, to, you know, to go back to Jesus, that kind of faith can move mountains. Uh, all right, well, we're at uh, time, so let me uh, close us in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for um, your faithfulness to us that while we were still uh, sinners, that Christ Jesus died for us. 
um, and credited uh, his righteousness toward us even as he fully paid for all of our sinfulness. Um, what a glorious exchange that you have done for us um, and that we partake of what you've done by receiving it uh, through our faith. Um, Lord, we thank you for uh, who you are, that you are a gracious God, um, that you are full of loving kindness, that you are, um, are one who is patient uh, with us. Um, and we uh, ask that you would forgive us for our sinfulness and our lack of, of living faithful lives, living the lives you've called us to live. Pray that you would make us obedient in our faith, trusting in the one who has saved and delivered us and given us his life-giving spirit. Lord, um, help us to continue to glory in you and to glorify you um, for who you are and for what you've done in and for and through us. Um, we thank you for all these things, and we ask these things in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen.